kind of the irony of living in a free speech nation where the voice is one of the most important things you have a privilege to where other people in different parts of the world don't but then we're guided and coached and conditioned to suppress that because it's important to not shake the system because that's why we've always done things and you don't want your elders mad at you and so on and so forth so you it it's polar opposite and there's tension between because on the one hand I don't want to disrespect elders but on the other hand you know I, I hit a certain age and I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint it exactly but I think maybe around 18 and once I kind of finished high school and went on and ventured into college I was like all right like I'm I'm free and I need to figure out me mi gente dímelo dímelo what's good Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. As a reminder, on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. And we do that every week by bringing you a new guest to join us for a very candid conversation around the conflict they have experienced between professionalism and authenticity. These experiences and stories often go untold. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Justin Johnson. Before getting into the full conversation, let me give you a little bit of background on Justin so that you have more context going into the episode. Justin, who's a proud Mexican and native Texan, has over a decade of professional experience. In April 2022, Justin was even featured as one of the 15 power players at Instagram, leading its creator economy efforts. He's been published as a thought leader in Forbes, Digital Marketer, HuffPost, Business Insider, and many other notable publications. These days, Justin works at MoonPay, where he is responsible for partnering with brands, organizations, creators, celebrities, and high net worth individuals entering Web3. He also resides in his hometown, which he is very proud of, San Antonio, Texas, with his wife, daughter, and dog. Now that you have a little bit more context into who Justin is, let's get into this conversation. All right, let's get started with what we always do with the word authenticity. It's such a buzzword you probably hear so often, but what the hell does it mean to you when you hear that word? The interview experience we'll have today will be the same type of energy I'll bring to every conversation of like, you get me and my truth that's raw and unfiltered. And that to me is the authenticity of like, this is what you have. You know, we're, we're layered in terms of we're built of different things that make us us. But you get me in a room with you, some CEOs of the most co prominent companies that I've shared off air. I only know how to be Justin because that's who I am. And that to me is how I define authenticity. Tell me about growing up. Was it easy to live in that definition? So definitely not. I think growing up more than anything, I was a chameleon. So I was inauthentic without really knowing. But I, I mean, again, this is a kid not knowing what he doesn't know. Right. And so as a kid, it was very hard to be authentic because I tried my, so hard to mirror myself, to fill the voids that I had based on when I was seeing other people to like baseline against so like, damn, like they got the mom, they got the dad, they got the brother, they got the, they got the dog. I don't got half of that. It sounds like, I mean, just like anybody else, you did a lot of comparison. Like, who were you comparing yourself to at such an early age? I mean, the other kids in the classroom, because that was the most prominent thing in front of me, quite literally, visu visually and physically, of like, man, why do they got the cool life? Why do they get to go on vacation? Why do they get to do all that? Meanwhile, me, I don't get to do any of that, right? And so it's this never enough feeling and, and contention around 
how do I get to be more like them and less like me as a child, right? And that's like really hard because I'm grappling with an identity crisis at the time. And this is me knowing now, being older, looking back at like what was actually going on, right, as a child. And it's something that um, wasn't easy, like assimilating and, and just for context, I went to six different elementary schools as a child. Why? Six. Because I grew up single parent household. So I'm moving around, living with family, living with family friends. And we're moving all the time. And that means wherever I'm living is where I'm going to school. And so we moved a lot. And that required me to essentially assimilate and adapt to new settings as literally a first grader, second grader, third grader, fourth grader, fifth grader. Right. And like, think about that. Like, that's hard. It's hard to make friends as an adult. It's even harder when like you can't even be somewhere long enough to make friends. Right. Mm-hmm. Or keep friends. I don't have a cell phone back then. And like that, that just wasn't a thing in the 90s. And so, you know, for me, that was a very difficult thing. But I didn't have any choice but to adapt and assimilate. And so some of these schools that I went to, I kid you not. And I grew up in San Antonio all around the city, basically. So, so San Antonio streets made me and raised me. I always give credit to San Antonio because that's where I'm from. Actually, where I live now. I, I was living in LA last, but decided to give that up and come back home. And I mean, some of the schools I went to was predominantly Anglo mm-hmm. and affluent, both of which I'm not at the time. You know, experiencing that was difficult. You know, microaggressions, and microaggressions racism, exclusion, these are all things I, I experienced as an eight to 10 year old, right? Tell me, like, about, tell me about those experiences. Like, I mean, you've seen Forrest Gump, I bet. <laughs> you can't sit with us. That was real for me. I, I got to experience that, right? And it's just a really weird feeling because it's hard to comprehend, like, but there's space next to you and I, I can occupy that, right? So like, these are real moments for me. And then I get moved to uh, another school where <laughs> One of the teachers, and I'll never forget this, this woman, fourth grade, um, is questioning me, questioning my citizenship because I couldn't find my social security card. And she was very adamant that like I wasn't supposed to be there. And I literally couldn't find the security card because we were moving so much the document got lost. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting pushed as a fourth grader, so 10, 11 years old, for this piece of paper to prove that I have a number that means I'm from the United States, which I was born into. Right. That happened to me until finally I brought the document after having to go through the whole process with my mother to get me the new card replacement, the replacement card. And then lastly, um, in fifth grade, we did some moving around again, per usual, because that's what we were doing on the go. And I end up being placed into an ESL class. So English is a second language, but I only spoke English, right? So think about being, this is all true, right? So this is right around September, like, 11th and I remember because I in this class I watched September 11th happen on the television I didn't understand what was going on at the time but I'll never forget what I saw right the planes hitting the towers burning people getting checked out of school and here I'm just sitting in school like understanding like one this is going on I didn't understand until years later the implications of that but then secondly I'm in a class where English is a second language for everyone but me so they speak Spanish I speak English I couldn't even communicate with them for some time till I started to figure out like how to speak Spanish better so it was a blessing in disguise, but at the same time, they literally put me in this situation because one, it's the classroom they could fit me in, and two, I sort of fit the mold with being the color of my skin being brown, right? And sort of this default around like, oh, this is a brown boy, let's put him in with, with the other brown folks. 
Wow. Yeah. Who do you who do you talk to about this? Like, did did you tell family members like, hey, this is going on? I'm just wondering, like, what was that conversation like? What was some of the advice or guidance that you received? You know, a lot of it was basically like myself figuring shit out. Mm. So you didn't you didn't talk to anybody about it? Not really, and, and I kept it to myself because I'm I'll figure it out. Mm. I'll figure it out. Um, I mean, I can't change. I can talk about it now. Right, because yeah. you're asking me, so I can I can give you my my formative opinion. But at the time, it was just like, no. Nah. I mean, I remember telling my mom like literally, this um, teacher is pressing me for this social security card. Like, get her off my case. Like, I don't know why she's doing that. I already told her when I have it, I'll bring it. And that's exactly what I did. But she wouldn't let it go. So my, that's one of the times that I enrolled my mom into it. Um, and then all the other experiences, I, I think I just, I mean, in the moment, didn't even realize that I was building literally fortitude to build, to deal with adversity. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea, but I just felt like that was a thing that I should be doing. Because again, in the culture of Hispanic, Mexican culture in the household, you don't really retaliate. You don't rebel. Yeah. You follow protocol and norms, even though it seems really stupid, you might not agree. It doesn't matter because it's not your choice. And you yeah. follow that to respect your elders. And that's just what I thought was I was supposed to do because that had always been ingrained into me. Well, that's why I asked as well, because I think many times we share these experiences with our family and, you know, our family could react one of two ways. Right. It could be like, oh, well, that's just kind of like how it is for us. Don't worry. I'll get you your Social Security card. Like kind of again, like don't necessarily push back on their criticism, et cetera, or it could be like, oh, don't worry, like I'm going to go into school and I'm going to talk to them kind of thing. But many times it's the first because it's like fear, right? Like because yeah. like so I, I get it, but but or not but but and I think that sets the precedent for us like moving forward. And the other time we experience some of these things, maybe even like when we start working, that's how I handled it in school. That's how I'm going to continue to handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you sort of become suppressed, right? And that's kind yeah. of the irony of living in a free speech nation where the voice is one of the most important things you have a privilege to, where other people in different parts of the world don't. But then we're guided and coached and conditioned to suppress that because it's important to not shake the system because that's why we've always done things and you don't want your elders mad at you and so on and so forth. So you, it, it's polar opposite and there's tension between because on the one hand, I don't want to disrespect elders, but on the other hand, you know, I, I hit a certain age and I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint it exactly, but I think maybe around 18 and once I kind of finished high school and went on and ventured into college, I was just like, all right, like I'm, I'm free and I need to figure out me. And I, I think that's when I started to become more vocal and less concerned around upsetting people. And again, it's not malintention to be like, I'm going to go disrespect everybody, <laughs> but it was around the fact of like, I need to live my life the way I want to live it. As you enter college, it's also this experience of like, I'm moving out or like I'm, I'm stepping out into my own space and all these kind of things. What did academics represent for you as far as like opportunity when you dreamed about it? Everything. I graduated. Oh, this is perfect, actually, because I, I, I'm going to show you, not only tell you, but I've always been what people call book nerd, bookworm, whatever. So this is from 1999. So many years ago. <laughs> And this is little Justin. I don't know if I'll get it. No. Yeah. So 
I had jorts on. I had some cool Nikes that I'd saved up money working for. And I read that year 371 books. Right? So this is real. This is this. No one can wow. ever take this away from me. This is physical unless I lose it, which I hope I don't. But so that's a that's third grade for me. Right? Third or fourth grade for me. And books have always been my friend. Like this has always been my source of inspiration in the absence of having the 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 father figure growing up in the absence of having someone that I could just be like, you know, oh, my aunt or uncle, my mom are like Fortune 100 CEOs. Like, let me just call them up for an internship. Like, I never had that. And I'm actually glad I never had that because it taught me to operate and move differently. Um, but to that specifically, academics and what it represents to me, it literally represents a big part of who Justin is and who I continue to be. And education was always my outlet of like, I can have some correlation between input and output. If I study hard and, and learn the things, I'll master it. I can't help but think about money. A lot of us often are like, I'm not only my plan, but I'm also my family's plan, right? <laughs> and we often either start taking on a certain academic path or we start taking on certain jobs for the money, right? Yeah. And I'm curious, like, as you're navigating academics, but also as you start thinking about, like, what do I want to do full time eventually? Like, what sort of thoughts were you having as far as, like, what you want to explore? So I wanted to be literally like the Mexican Wolf, wolf of Wall Street. Like, I, I, that was my plan because I had seen some movies and I'm like, well, I mean, this seemed like this guy's living, right? Uh, I could do that. So I had the opportunity, actually, as a freshman, so like 19-year-old at the time, to go to Goldman and do a program with Goldman Sachs. So I'm literally in near ground zero, commuting to Jersey City, suit and tie. Um, and I'm it's like- It's a nice building. Yeah, it is on the, on the Hudson. I forget exactly the address, but it's in Jersey yeah. City. It's beautiful. Um, and I'm like, I got to experience that, which I'm really grateful for. But I'm like, I could make all this money and just be living at work. Like that sounds terrible. And I experienced that. Like I, as a 19 year old, I had like 16 hour days, 18 hour days or something like that with the program all in and like all these like mixers, which are like, you know, disguised work basically. Um, and I'm like, man, I'm in New York and you would never know. I would never know because it's, it's hotel train office, office train hotel repeat. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got to do something different with my life. Like I wanted to go do the Wolf of Wall Street thing. And I actually ended up at the biggest with Goldman. And I'm like, this ain't it. Like this ain't it to, to basically do wealth asset management and make rich people richer. And like I can make a good salary as a out of college person, probably around like a quarter million dollars for someone like me was like, that could change a lot of my family's trajectory. Right. But I'm like, I want to, I need to be happy. Otherwise, I can be the richest, like, brokest person from a from, like a emotional perspective, and I didn't want that. So tell me about tell me about how you showed up to work in some of those early internship experiences, and it doesn't have to be Goldman Sachs, right? Like, just in your yeah. early years of your career, yeah. how did you think about showing up, right? In Goldman Sachs and even the financial institutions, wealth management—that's a very traditional male dominated oh yeah work but culture. it's 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 males who, it. it's males who don't look like me or at least at yeah the, at the time 2010 didn't look like me probably still uh, it, it was also at the time too just for like case in point um goldman sachs was under allegations by the sec 
So it's a very weird time to be at Goldman Sachs when all this is happening at Goldman Sachs to Goldman Sachs by the largest security exchange commission in the world, right? Like this is all going on. I'm there sort of like in the elevators and now there's like these meme accounts of like the Goldman Sachs elevate, like, all, and this is all real. You know, I got to live through this and I got to see this happen and un unfold at headquarter. Um, but I just, I, I wanted to let people know who I am. And I told you this, like breaking away and going off into my own to Austin and starting school at UT, I wanted to find out who I was. And it just started by introduction of like, who are you? I'm Justin. I'm from Texas. Well, where are you from? Oh, I'm originally from San Antonio. I'm a huge Spurs fan. And then like, it's just getting to know me on a personal level before it's like, oh, but by the way, I'm majoring in finance. So somehow I wanted to work at Goldman. Now I'm at Goldman. I actually don't want to be at Goldman, but here I am. Nice to meet you. Right. And again, it's, it's, it's privilege and, you know, shout out to the programs that we're trying to help put on minorities, me being one of them for this particular program. I was also one of the few people from public school. Everyone else was Ivy League. Um, and people actually had parents and families from the financial institution. I'm like, I don't got that. Like some of my family don't even have bank account because they foreclosed, right? Like literally. Um, and it just so happened that there was a, a, a stock trading competition. And the only way I learned how to do it was like I read back to books and, and thinking about my 1999 self of a plot. I ended up winning that competition amongst the other, I think like, 50 or 100 undergrads from all across the U.S. Again, you know, Brown, Harvard, MIT, like the biggest of the biggest. I end up winning this competition and I'm like, this is not the purpose that I was supposed to have on this planet. I got to like do you something. Weren't, you weren't feeling fulfilled. Before we get into that, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. This episode of the Quintuera's podcast is sponsored by McDonald's. Since 1985, McDonald's has given over $33 million in scholarships. You can win one of 30 scholarships available and win a scholarship of up to $100,000. This year, McDonald's is giving away $500,000 in scholarships. Since 1985, Hased has helped aspiring Latino students achieve their dreams of going to college. But despite students' unwavering desire for progress, they still feel lost and powerless, making the need for support greater than ever. And that means it's time to hacer more. Students can apply to McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship and go further like Katia in Chazareta. To apply to the McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship, visit mcdonalds.com slash hacer. That is H-A-C-E-R. Well, I'm not going to go flex that I won a stock trading simulation competition. Like, no one cares. I don't care. It didn't matter. I still remember. But at the same time, it's like, then those people were asking me, you know, how did I do it? What did I learn? Like wanting to understand, like, how did I do it? How to emulate? And I shared some game, but at the same time, I'm like, I put in the hours. I'm not going to give you the shortcuts. Absolutely not. Absolutely there not. There seems to be this, and maybe I'm looking too into it, but there seems to be this theme of like you entering a room and wanting to like constantly prove yourself. Oh, yeah. Validation of like, yeah, I'm invited, but like, I want to prove that I'm worthy of the invite. Right. And it just so happened that same summer, Google came knocking and I ended up being one of the first uh, people that, that they'd ever sourced from the University of Texas that wasn't a computer science person. Mm. That was in the Macomb School of Business. So it was me and another, another minority female um, that were selected for the Google Bold Immersion Program. So this is now 2010. Uh, and I was part of the inaugural class. And 
I went and did that. And that introduced me to what my life could look like at tech. So you got to imagine this summer crazy for a kid from San Antonio, just finished his first year at UT. I'm back home, literally working at finish line, selling sneakers for $7 an hour. I get, it's all true, all true. And, I, and um, I get these calls and emails. Hey, we've, you've been um, identified as someone who'd fit for this program, submit this, blah, blah, blah. I did it, didn't think anything of it. But that summer, I got to hang out with the two biggest G's in the world, Goldman, Google. And that was my mm-hmm. summer as a 19 year old. Right. And that summer fundamentally shifted the trajectory of my life that led me to have consecutive internships with Google throughout college, ended up me pivoting further right after college to joining Oracle for about a year that parlayed into the craziest eight years of my life working for Meta, formerly Facebook, Instagram. And it was because of the opportunity and access that I was given into these rooms and into these programs And you got to understand this, right? So I'm on a full ride scholarship and I'm making Google money as a 20 year old in San Francisco, living in Silicon Valley. So if you've ever seen the movie, The Internship, I got to live that life. I kid you not. Tell me, because I don't don't think you got into this. Tell me about some of those early internship experiences. How did you show up to work aesthetically? And did you feel comfortable in what you and how you looked? Yes. So fashion, as I've I've matured in age, has, has become a more integral part of my life. For sure. And, and it's by design because it, I fundamentally believe it's it's the most communicative, nonverbal thing we have to offer to the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I'm very peculiar about my shoes. So, you know, this this sneaker obsession starts from basically as a child and has gradually increased and become more expensive to, to adulthood. <laughs> right. Like literally, if, if I'm ever blessed to have a son and he's a size 11, he's He's good for life, basically, uh, with some heat. I don't like heat, heat, not, not, not just anything. Like I have those things that people are like, I wish I had that. I'm like, I have that. I wear it. Like I got that. Uh, but how did I show up to work? I mean, I showed up in a way that was a Google. I mean, so Goldman suit and tie, right? Like there's no breaking that 2010. There's no like flexible, like, oh, you don't have to wear a tie on Fridays. Like just like, no suit and tie. You had to shave too, right? Yeah, I didn't have the the six o'clock shadow or whatever this is now. But um, what what other sort of what other sort of rules that they have? Because all I know is like the shaving policy. I mean, clean what, cut, it- like clean cut, like you got to be presentable because if you're meeting with these these clients that are high net worth and things of that sort, like you're representing the firm, and um, it, there's a lot of unspoken language there of just like normality yeah. of what's accepted, and 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 not again. This is. 2010. So I don't know how much has changed now. I hope it's better. Like, um, I think I heard or read during the pandemic, like all the other companies that were allowed to pivot to go remote, they allowed maybe some people to go remote, which to me is like the traditional industries, banking being one of them. It's like, wow, it's a big deal. Right. But it's also like, it's not that big a deal, but it's a big deal for them. Right. So I'll hold pause on them, but I'll go back to Google. But that's the interesting thing about, I think a lot of organizational cultures is that a lot of these things are just unspoken. Like maybe there is a facial hair policy, but a lot of it is kind of like, quote unquote, clean cut. But like, what does clean cut look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's very like, just is it, like, is it this or is what you have? Exactly. It's yeah. definitely not what I have. But even for like, even for women, I'm sure it's kind of like 
their version of clean cut, like well kept hair. What the hell does well kept hair look like? Yeah, like, you know I probably I mean? wouldn't have. I mean, I'm normally not a blonde. This is also peppering in because the black is coming through again. But uh, I probably wouldn't have blonde hair at Goldman Sachs in 2010. But do you think that, like, how much of that do you think is unspoken versus, like, actual rules in place? Or was it just like, hey, we got this meeting with a VP coming up. Uh, wink, wink. Make sure you look the part, you know? Yeah, I think it's more of the latter. And it's like it's it's what's not said is understood. Like, it's, mm. it's part of it. Uh, but for Google, I will credit Google for allowing me and, and the company in itself to just – they didn't care what was presented on the outside. What they cared about was here and what you're able to sort of contribute to the company. And so that really gave me the confidence to start wearing the crazy Nike dunks that I had back in the day before they became mainstream or the Air Maxes or uh, the Gucci loafers and, and all these things. Again, that fashion just played a really big part of my life of allowing me to show people what I'm about, the quirkiness, the funky prints, the loud pants by design, because that's what I enjoyed. And it gave me also the confidence of like, man, if I ever work for a company again, that's not Google, I want it to be a company that appreciates me for me, despite mm -hmm. if I'm wearing a pink t-shirt or a plaid shirt or a suit and tie, right? And so it just really enabled me that to have the opportunity and again too like i was very fortunate in that i was naive i was young i was 20 years old at the time when i joined the firm so i didn't know what i didn't know i also got direct exposure to larry and sergey actually ended up in larry's personal library uh going through his collection and seeing the photos of the dalai lama with him and like all these like famous people and like i'm going through his book collection because again back to books like he has like fahrenheit 451 in there and the great gatsby and like i'm like oh, this is like these are all books that I've read and like, these are classics and I hear typing and then it just stops. And then I just see a head poke and it's Larry. And I recognize it's Larry cause there's two faces of Google and the other one wasn't there and it's Sergey, right? And I look at Larry and I'm just like, I didn't even really tell him hi. I'm like, you got a great book collection or whoever it is. He says, thank you. Pops his head back, typing continues. And I'm like, I, I was supposed to be on the floor for someone else, which ended up happening, but in my curiosity, I'm just like, I'm going to just flow and float and see what happens. And those engagements and interactions have, have really kind of been organic and followed suit. The same instances of working at, at Oracle and meeting Mark Hurd and Larry Ellison in my year there. And then in the eight years that I got to share time with Zuck and Cheryl and a bunch of the other early executives who I'm still friends with to this day, it's that became the norm for me, um, which I 100% know that wouldn't have been the case at Goldman. Yeah. And so that introduction to tech and social media was key for me because I found my groove and I found my footing of like, this is who I am and this is where I need, not want to be, but where I need to be to be the best version of me. And so tying it back to authenticity and allowing to be the sneakerhead at work or to be mm -hmm. the person that decides, you know what, I want to go blonde one day and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. There's got to be some doubt when you enter some of these tech corporations, though, because I've read the values and it's like, bring your most authentic self to work. And I always think going into it, I was like, yeah, that's cool. But the rules don't apply to me. Right. Yeah. Like when was that moment where you were just like, maybe it does apply to me. Like, and did you start like letting certain things out or was it just like, yeah, fuck it, all, 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 all of it together, all or nothing.
And I'm like, I'm going to just show, like, nothing changes on the inside. I'm still me. What changes externally of, like, this is sort of the image of how I'm going to be perceived. And I'm okay with that because I know who I am inside. And I just started wearing some of the the higher-end things that I have and the Mm -hmm. designer bags. And, like, no one's really, like, at least on the men's side, you know, aren't rocking what I'm rocking. And that's okay, because I'm just trying to be me. There's one version of me, but there you'll see different sides of me in terms of clothing and sneakers and all these other things, right? And so I just went all in, and I'm like, this is this is this is who I am. And uh, the confidence came from an interaction I had through a cold email, and this mm-hmm. happened to be to Ariana Huffington, who started the Huffington Post and, and Thrive, right? So I sent Ariana uh, an email after I went back to books. I read her book, Sleep. Uh, it's called sleep and the importance of sleep and the revolution and things of that sort. I'm butchering the title, but you type in sleep revolution, Huffington, you'll find the book that I'm talking about. So I read it end to end and I had thoughts, feedback and appreciation that I wanted to send. Ended up finding her email just by Google searching uh, after some time. And I'm like, Oh, we'll see what happens. That email is still in my inbox to this day. I actually have a, a, a printout somewhere that I need to get framed. Gave me the boost and vote of confidence that like I have this voice and I have the physicality of it my wardrobe, right? That comes with the voice that if someone of her stature, Ariana Huffington, crazy net worth of at least a quarter billion, like not even just female, but a prominent business leader throughout time can take the time to acknowledge me and give me the opportunity without even asking to be a a writer for Huffington Post. I'm like, I bet you I can do a lot more with the voice and the clothes. So I'm gonna see where this goes. And that went to the moon literally kid you not ended up having the craziest interactions and, and friendships with lance armstrong the people who started south by southwest uh the prince family who's essentially credited with discovering drake right a very small artist that is from canada maybe that people know mm-hmm. i'm joking here not not joking like they literally are the people that found drake put them on and the the ties just continue but that pivotal experience through email with Ariana Huffington that got me the platform to share my voice and share a little bit more about me to be more outward facing um, was the boost that I've been on for now, probably since 2015. It's a continuous theme though. Again, it's kind of like validation. It was like, oh shit, Ariana, you noticed, you saw and validated me that like I matter and I belong. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing for that, though. I was not even seeking validation. I still have the email. It was yeah. literally me critiquing her book and, and giving appreciation and feedback for it, right? But the fact of the matter is she took it a different angle and spun it of like, I like your voice. Having never had a conversation with me ever in her life mm. was like a beautiful thing, a very beautiful thing. Yeah. And it really has this mentality instructed in me or instilled in me of shoot your shot always, Hundred like hundred percent always. Tell me about a time where you felt the need to hide who you were at work. I will say my first job out of college was was a bit very much Fortune one hundred, super corporate, black and white, no real color, like literally in terms of like wardrobe, like very bland, because that is what the traditional experience had been and expectation had been. And so I had to succumb to these colors that I'm just like not a fan of. Like I don't get excited about wearing blue slacks or blue shirt. Like I just I just don't. That's not me. Like I have one blue t-shirt in my entire wardrobe 
and one overshirt that's blue. That's it. I don't like blue. I just don't. Um, and so one day, like, I just decided to kind of venture out and kind of wear, like, these plum-colored pants, which is, like, a, it's a purple, but it's not, like, a Barney the Dinosaur purple, but it's, like, a dark purple. Uh, and I remember, at the time, getting a comment um, from management about them, and I'm like, why does it matter what color of pants that I wear? What did they say? Just like, oh, they're not blue. I'm like, yeah, they're plum, right? You're calling out something that's not a, a fact, right? But it's like clearly not a, it's like to be intentional. And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're not blue, they're plum. And that little instance was just like, okay, um, this is for sure not for me. Like this is, this is part of who I am. It's part of who I am, right? Uh, and I, I won't forget that instance. And it, it's not to bash anybody at any means. I'm grateful for a lot of opportunities and the people I've come across to, to teach me who I want to become or who I don't want to become. But yeah, it was just like I knew it was it was bigger than the pants that I was wearing. Yeah. You know? And and I asked that too because there's there's been a recent study. I forget. I think the New York Times did it. But they said that, you know, people of color are often even in performance reviews, they're judged for their personality or how they look instead of their performance. And it's this interesting dynamic when you get to Google and you're like, oh, my God, finally. No, I mean, I could wear judged. shorts. Literally, I was wearing shorts, but they cared more about this than me wearing literally. Also, I was in California. So flip flops and right. shorts is like a staple uniform. Exactly. But you're like, finally, people care about what's up here. In my performance and what I have to offer versus how I look or my personality as well. Is that is that something else that you sort of received early on? Like yeah. judged on not performance? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, there's just some nuances that come, some cultural nuances be, with being Mexican and and how there's just a knowledge gap to understand like what actually is Cinco de Mayo or what is Dieciseis de Septiembre or what is Dia de los Muertos? It's like, it's more than a party, but it's so ingrained in culture that people only think of the party aspect. They're missing the complete like educational aspect of what it actually means. Right. And so I think the other things that come with that is um, there's a lot of stress, myself included throughout my career that I had to carry that I just didn't disclose because I'm like, those are my personal issues, if you will. Right. So to your point, I don't know if the sound from outside is coming in or not, but someone's doing lawn work out there somewhere. Um, with that, you know, having to focus really on understanding, okay, these are my issues and really just trying to like separate the two of like work versus personal, but it's still going through me. So there's one me and then like I'm trying to like compartmentalize is really difficult because when you talk about bringing your full self to work, it's like, oh, you want the good, bad and the ugly, but do you? Cause I don't think you do. Right. And like though the, my full self, um, a handful of people who to this day, I'm still friends with that are now ex colleagues. They got that because you wanted the real, I'm gonna give you real. You wanted the stuff that's going to make the company or the team look good. Cool. I'll put my game face on. Cause that's what I'm expected to do. I'll do it. Right. And succumb to that. But I think for me, um, I just kind of got this, Atti not attitude, that's not the right word because that's going to be categorized wrong. I just got this approach and lifestyle around and mindset of being unapologetic. And I think that's the best word I could take from, from those experiences of like, you get what you get because this is who I am. 
and I am multi-layered, but this, this is it. And I'm unapologetic and I'm going to do what Justin wants to do within reason for, of the policies, guidelines, and blah, blah, blah. One last question is what's the one thing that continues to inspire and empower you to continue being your most authentic self, even at work? It's two words. Uh, and this is not only for this question, but my, how I view life and how I choose to approach and live life and just to, to keep going. And what that means can mean a multitude of different things. So I don't want to give people the answer. But for me, it's really about the fact that just because I'm here now in terms of where I've achieved career success, academic success, financial success, whatever you want to call it, uh, I'm not done yet. So the journey continues and it only continues if I keep going. And, and what that means of who I want to decide to be, who I want, who I decide I want to become. And I share this with people around like, Again, the clothing, the sneakers, the hair color, I'm still figuring it myself, right? The next time I see you, and I, I will see you in March in South by Southwest, like it'll either be blonde, it won't be black, maybe pink. I don't know how I'm gonna be feeling, but that'll be expressive in the hair color. So it. that's that's what I would leave them with is, is two words to keep going. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Kintuetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next week.